The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Now, as most of you know, I like to talk about guns, gun sales, gun politics, things like that, and uh, give you a good reason to buy a new gun, to get some gun training, and uh, avoid any political pitfalls in your state or wherever you happen to be. And this week is no different. Apparently, gun sales are up. And I believe one one reason why is gun prices are down. Been, if you've been shopping lately for anything gun-wise, you'll notice all gun prices seem to be at pretty much almost an all-time low right now. I've not seen prices this low since 2019, right before the uh, street protest happened during COVID in 2020. And, of course, low prices mean you get more for your money, you get uh, better guns at better prices, I mean, who can say no to that? I don't understand. So if you have any thoughts of buying a new gun or get, adding to a collection or getting a first gun, now would be the time to do it. I've seen AR-15s out there for under $500. I've seen semi-automatic, good quality semi-automatic 9mm pistols for under $350. It's out there. You have to look a little bit, get on some mailing lists from some suppliers, and ammo, ammo is also coming down. Now, it's not quite to the levels where it was in 2019, but it is It is coming down. It's dropping a little slower, you know, up like a rocket, down like a parachute, but still, it is still dropping. And I'm seeing cases of uh, 5.56, 223 for around 400 bucks. I'm seeing cases of 9mm for about 200 to 230, 240. So if you waited to stock up, now would be the time to start looking. So pay attention, look at your prices, get some stuff out there, and if you want to add to your collection, consider what you have and consider what gaps you need to fill. Because people ask me all the time, what gun should I get next? Or what gun should I get? Now, as a first gun, I usually always recommend a pistol. A pistol or a revolver, a handgun of some sort. Because that's more than likely, unless you live in a very rural area, a handgun is going to be your first line of defense, which is what most people have guns for. Now, if you can use it for sporting purposes, then you probably know what you need. You know what you have to do with it. And that's a kind of a different uh, realm there. But if you're looking for a first handgun to provide self-defense, to provide family defense, property defense for yourself, your family, your property, your dog, whatever, then a handgun would be your very first purchase. Now, say you have this handgun, it's loaded up, or it's put in a, a lockbox because you have small children, and it's in your dresser drawer, or it's wherever it's supposed to be, where it's kept safe, away from prying eyes, yet readily available to you. There, your next gun, you're going to, what should I get? And it's kind of a toss-up here. I'd say a shotgun would probably be one of my first choices in something like that, and there are a variety of good choices. Now, if you're on the budget side of things, I'm going to say uh, it's called a Maverick 88 made by Mossberg or the Mossberg 590, which is a little step above the, the Maverick 88. But both share a lot of similar features and are very good, super reliable pump-action shotguns, which can chamber almost any kind of usually two-and-three-quarter or three-inch shells. And they're, you know, like I say, super reliable, well-built, been around for years. 
and they've proven themselves to be reliable weapons. Now, of course, if you've never shot one before, I highly suggest going to a range. Or ideally, if you can go with somebody who has some land and they'll allow you to shoot, that would be a better story because shooting a shotgun at an indoor range can be extremely challenging because they usually only allow you to use slugs. If you're unfamiliar with that, slugs are a solid piece of lead as opposed to multiple bits of lead put together, as most shotguns are known for, having a bunch of shot is what the little pellets are called. And they range anywhere from, you know, minuscule sizes up to about 33 caliber. Now, the 33 caliber ones are what is known as double zero buckshot or double aught buck. And the buckshot is, like you might imagine, used for hunting deer a lot of times. Because when you can fire nine 33 caliber pellets with each pull of the trigger, you're firing projectiles faster than most machine guns can. And they are devastating at close range, even out to probably, I'd say almost a 100 yards, you could probably still take down deer with double aught buckshot with careful aim. However, beyond 50, I'd recommend going with the slug, the single shot. Now, in a house, you have to be careful because you have a potential to overpenetrate walls. Most houses are built with sheetrock, two-by-four studs, and sheetrock is not going to stop most heavy-duty shotgun blasts. Like a double-op buck will penetrate at least one side of a sheetrock and possibly even two sides. I'm sure somebody has done the testing to see how far it would go. A slug can go through several walls, inside and out. So whenever you're shooting in a self-defense situation, be extremely aware of what's behind you or what's behind your perpetrator. If you have somebody in your house... Look at what's behind him. Is there a room behind where he's standing where your children are sleeping? Be aware of that. Also, if you encounter somebody in your house, you have the advantage by knowing the layout. This is your home field advantage. So know about that. But like I say, shotguns are devastating at close range. And just be careful if you're using them in a self-defense situation. Now, if you live in a very urban environment, you have to be very careful with what ammo you select to use in your shotgun. Now, a lot of times, 12-gauge is probably the standard pick. Everybody needs a 12-gauge shotgun if they want to build a collection or have a very standardized weapon that's easy to get ammunition for. Now, sometimes if you're smaller framed or you're female and you want something with a little less recoil but still want to have the devastating effect a shotgun has at close range, then get a smaller gauge of shotgun. Now, gauge is the way that they determine the caliber of a shotgun. And the way they originally did this is they took one pound of lead and determined how many perfectly round balls they could make out of it that would fit down a certain diameter of barrel. If you could make 12 balls out of a pound of lead, that would be a 12-gauge. If you make 20 balls out of a pound of lead, that would be a 20-gauge. On up and on down. There's most common calibers today are 12 and 20. Occasionally a 16-gauge will sneak in there. And at one time, a 10-gauge was trying to make a comeback, but they are extremely difficult to shoot because they have a lot of power and have a lot of recoil in most cases. There was a company that was had back in the, I want to say, early 2000s, late 90s. They brought out a 10-gauge in a semi-automatic and a pump action. And they were just finding the ammo for them now is extremely difficult. But 12-gauge is pretty standard, as is 20-gauge. So consider those two calibers if you're going to get your shotgun for your second weapon in your collection. And know that it will be practical. You can use it for self-defense. You can also use it for hunting. 
Like I say, there's such a thing as bird shot, which, as you might imagine, is good for shooting birds, such as doves, pheasants, whatever, quail, whatever other sport birds there are. And as your pellet size goes up, so does your lethality at longer ranges. And like I say, turkeys are another bird a lot of people shoot with a shotgun. In fact, a lot of states require you use a shotgun to shoot a turkey. And, of course, that's going to depend on the range you can get them at and how big they are. But you're going to have to get something bigger for a turkey than you will for a dove, obviously. But anyway, the 12-gauge can provide access to hunting. It it can give you self-defense capabilities and the hunting. Now, generally, the shotguns that are configured for hunting and self-defense are usually configured very differently. However, most modern shotguns, either pump-action or semi-auto, you can buy a different barrel and change its configuration completely and its capability of going from hunting to self-defense. But once you're used to the action, used to the trigger pull, used to the way the gun functions, how to load it, where the safety is, any barrel you put on will just be a matter of changing the range or possible effectiveness at different ranges based on what you're going to shoot with it. So now you've got your handgun of some sort. You've got your shotgun. Now, of course, you want to have a variety of ammo for this shotgun and determine where you are and how you want to load it. You know, bird shot is very effective at close ranges and is not as likely to overpenetrate in a very urban environment, but it's not quite as lethal as some of the larger sh- shot sizes. So keep that in mind. If you know somebody who tends to, who knows more about shotguns, ask them before buying any or start off with birdshot to practice and work your way up to stronger loads. Okay. So now you've got your shotgun. You've got ammo for it. You got a variety of ammo for it and you got a way to carry it. If you have to use that gun in your house, remember shotgun ammo is rather large and it's a little bit heavy and it's not easy to carry. There's very few shotguns use magazines where you can grab a couple extra magazines and go. Most of them have a singular feed tube, and you feed them into the feed tubes, and that's how they feed out of them. Unless you have a double-barrel shotgun, which is either barrels that are hooked up side-by-side or one over the other, top over bottom, over and under. But most defensive shotguns are going to be either pump-action or semi-auto, and they feed through a tube underneath the main barrel. And this tube, depending on how long it is, will determine how many shells you can load in it. But in order to carry shotgun shells with you, I suggest either a sling made for carrying them or a belt you can wear that's made for carrying them because they're kind of bulky and you want to be able to keep them accessible because even the best shotgun usually has about an 8 to 10 round capacity. Which generally, if you have to shoot more than 8 or 10 rounds of a shotgun round, you need something bigger, better, faster, or you need to get out of where you are. You need to avoid the conflict at this point because you seem like if you're going to be outgunned with that many rounds of shotgun shells, you need to reconsider the tactics. Okay, so next we're going to move on to the next thing. And here's where a lot of people have varying opinions. Get a rifle. Now, this will depend on whether you're urban, suburban, or or rural and what your effective use is going to be for. Most people, if you're looking for a rifle, if you're looking for a gun and you have a limited number of them, I'm going to assume most people who want a rifle at this point with a handgun and a shotgun are looking for something that can be used for self-defense. And a lot of you are going to tell me, oh, you don't need a rifle for self-defense. That's overkill. That's too much. Well, there's been more and more reports of gangs of people anywhere from two to five to six invading houses and by sheer numbers they're going to overpower you with a single 
pistol, or a single shotgun round. And you might need a rifle to defend against multiple attackers. Or if you live in a more rural environment and you have some range you have to cover, there's a guy breaking into your house and you're in the barn and you've got a 30, 40, 50-yard shot you have to make, a rifle is going to be what you most likely want because it's much more precise than a shotgun and it's more devastating than a handgun. Besides, shooting a handgun at 50 yards is not something most people can do easily. It is doable. It's obtainable. You can work on that skill, but a rifle is way more effective at anything past about 25 to 35 yards. Now, Grant, I can tell you I've been with people shooting steel targets two foot by three foot at 100 yards with a 9-millimeter pistol. Not as hard as you might think. Imagine a two-by-three-foot target, though, is six square feet of steel, so that's a big target. Anything much smaller than that, a pistol loses effectiveness at that range also, and the accuracy can vary tremendously. As there is some drop built in, although not as much as you might believe. But still, a rifle will give you extended range. Also, the magazines for most semi-automatic rifles are going to be in the 30- to 60-round range. And that's going to give you what you need in case you are presented with multiple attackers breaking in, coming after you for a carjacking. Another thing, you're in the car. Rifles are not the best thing. That's why I always recommend a pistol or handgun first because for most scenarios in an urban or suburban environment, a pistol, handgun is going to be your first line of defense. So when you're going for this rifle, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to be ready in case multiple attackers, if there's a breakdown in in general services, I'm going to need that rifle to either hunt for food, to fend off possible multiple attackers in scenarios where I'm either going out to find food, going out to find a place to be, or whether I'm bugging in or staying in my home base and they're coming for me. And I want to be able to defend against multiple attackers in this particular case. And that's where you want to get something in a semi-automatic rifle. And, of course, the number one selling semi-automatic rifle in this country is the AR-15. It is also one of the most versatile semi-automatic rifles sold in this country. And granted, there are a, a thousand different configurations, thousands of different configurations of this particular weapon. And... It will take a little bit to determine which configuration you will be able to use the best in your particular circumstances. It's, it's, it's amazing because the fact that the AR-15 is so versatile that it, uh, there's so many different configurations, you'd have to decide how to outfit it for your particular purpose. And when I come back from this break, I'm going to go into different configurations and how to set it up for your particular environment. All right, I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And right before I left for the break, I was going to go over a little bit of how to configure an AR-15 for your particular purpose. Now, there are probably dozens of different purposes, but I'm going to try and cover some of the major ones. First is going to be urban environment. How do you set up an AR-15 to be most effective and give you the best bang for your buck in urban environments? Now, this is where caliber choice is crucial. Now, normally in an AR-15, the first thing I recommend is a 5.56 cartridge because it's universally found. It's easy to get. All accessories, almost all accessories for all AR-15 rifles are suitable for each other. They're easy to change, and it's an easy cartridge to handle. It fires easily. It doesn't have a lot of recoil. In fact, there's videos out there on YouTube all over the place of, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, girls and boys firing AR-15s with ease. So don't think you're out of your league with this. Now, granted, one thing that most people don't realize when they first go shooting a gun is that it is loud. So make sure you have proper hearing protection firing any kind of rifle. Now, this rifle needs to be configured in a caliber. 5.56 is probably the most universal, the easiest. However, in a strictly urban environment, you might consider another caliber. The caliber I would go at then is a 300 blackout. It is a slightly shortened version of a 5.56 shell meant to handle a 30 caliber bullet. Now, the good thing about the 300 blackout is that the rounds will fit in a standard AR-15 magazine. So you don't have to get anything special as far as that goes. The only difference is the barrel is a 30 caliber barrel instead of a 22 caliber barrel. And also, the 300 Blackout is unique in the fact that it was designed to burn all its powder in a much shorter 9-inch barrel as opposed to a 14.5-inch barrel with a 5.56. Now, right now, I can't really tell you to go out and get something with a pistol brace on it because there's... Uh, there's court cases pending where pistol braces may or may not be legal in another month, two, three months, six months, whenever they finally come to a decision on that particular ban that the ATF has decided to implement. And the unusual thing is that pistol braces were available for about 12 years in this country with no restriction, and thousands and thousands of weapons were produced with them. Probably even millions of weapons were produced with pistol braces in place. They make a 300 blackout much easier to handle with a shorter barrel. But until that's settled, it's not something I could really recommend at the moment because you may end up buying a weapon with a pistol brace and then it becomes illegal months down the road. So you want to build a rifle. Now, ideally, you want to build something with the shortest barrel possible in a 300 blackout because it burns the powder in a very short distance. And you go past a certain length in barrel, and it starts losing velocity instead of gaining. So the longest barrel I want to see is a 16-inch, which is the minimum length. However, you can get a shorter barrel if you attach a muzzle device to it to bring the total length of the barrel to a minimum of 16 inches. As is the minimum 16 inch in, 16 inches is the minimum length for a rifle barrel as of now in this country. So consider that. But if you get a shorter barrel, then you add two or two and a half inches of muzzle device to it, then you can have a slightly shorter barrel, which will make it a little bit more effective. And an adjustable stock on any of these. Most Air 15s have collapsible stocks. And there are other variations which don't use the direct impingement system that an AR-15 uses. Now, the unusual thing about AR-15 compared to some rifles is that the bolt, when it recoils, drives a spring and a buffer which goes past the back edge of the receiver into the 
the rear stock, whatever it is. So there's actually a, a buffer tube that holds the buffer and the spring, but it extends past the weapon eight to nine inches. So you have to have a stock that will cover that, but you don't want to make it too long because you want to keep a rifle in an urban environment. You want to keep it handy. You want to keep it easy to maneuver. You want to keep it easy to go through doorways. And these are things that there's plenty of videos out there on how to maneuver a rifle length weapon within the confines of a standard home or apartment or something like that. So these are skills you'd have to learn and understand before taking a rifle for a self-defense uh, self-defense situation if it arises. The rifles are more difficult because of their length. Same thing with a shotgun. Because of the length of a shotgun, it is a little bit more difficult to maneuver in very tight urban environments. This changes a little bit in suburban environments. Because again, here you go, you've got much longer distances between homes. You've got most suburban environments have yards or, you know, a land between the homes. And it depends how, I guess, how effective you want to be in deterring groups of people from coming to your house in the event of some sort of collapse. You want to be able to defend yourself, your family, and your property, and you want to be able to do it effectively with as few rounds as possible. You want your weapon to be as accurate as possible. Now, here it's kind of a toss-up because a 300 blackout is good out to about 200 yards, probably a little more without dropping drastically over the course of that travel. While a 5.56 is good out to almost five to 600 yards, so you have a lot of extended range with the 5.56, but the bullet is a lot lighter and it's not quite as effective on impact as a 30 caliber bullet would be. Now, another option here is an AK rifle. I'm going to get into that after I cover the AR-15 because the AK rifle has a unique 30 caliber bullet and a reliable design. It's been around for a long time. And it has the same 30-round magazines as the AR-15 can have, and even more. There are extended magazines for all these, but the standard capacity magazine for an AR-15 and an AK-47 is 30 rounds. So when they talk about um, high-capacity mags, they're probably talking about standard-capacity mags. Anything over 10 rounds is not necessarily high-capacity. In fact, many weapons will not function with a magazine designed to only hold 10 rounds. They're too short. They don't fit in the mag well. You can't get them in and out easily. And then what they end up doing is having an extended magazine that has a blocker in it so you can only put 10 rounds in it. So anything that's supposed to have a higher capacity or can have a standard capacity of 20 to 30 rounds and you limit it to 10 rounds, that is a restricted capacity magazine. It is not a high capacity magazine to go over that limit. That's just a term made up by the media. High-capacity magazines, they're not high-capacity. They're standard capacity. And everybody should be able to have standard capacities for whatever weapon they decide to choose to use to defend themselves, their family, and their property. In fact, why not? The government's allowed to have them. Police are, are willing to have them. And I'd be willing to bet every bodyguard of every Washington political figure is using unrestricted magazines. But yet they don't think you're important enough to be able to defend yourself and family with unrestricted magazines. But they think their families are worth more than yours are. So keep that in mind the next time you try and buy a magazine in New York or Chicago or California or a variety of states where they have restrictions on the capacity of your magazine for just some arbitrary reason. And they're trying to restrict it more and more. The governor of New York at some point tried to put a seven-round limit on a magazine and unfortunately most 
weapons don't have seven round magazines. There's a few that do, but they're very limited. And anything that's designed to carry more, you're going to have to put blocks and uh, spacers in there to keep it from holding more than seven rounds. Then they determined that because 10-round magazines are at least, even though they're highly restricted, they're still more common. So he said you can have a 10-round magazine, but it can't be loaded with more than seven rounds. Yeah, complete idiocracy. Because what these people are after is to disarm you. That's all there is to it. They don't want you to be able to defend yourself in the event of a crisis. So now you've got your rifle and you're thinking, okay, you're in a suburban environment. So you've got a little more space to cover. You may want to outfit this weapon a little different. A 5.56 is probably a good choice, especially if you live a little further out in the country where the suburban areas are a little bit bigger, more spacing, and you may face a longer shot. 556 would be your first choice and you want it in a rifle configuration because firing a 556 out of a shorter barrel does nothing but give you a big muzzle flash at the end of it. So you want to keep the barrel at least 14 and a half with a two inch muzzle device on it or one and a half inch muzzle device. And most manufacturers, when they make a 16 inch barrel, they make it very close to 16.1 just to give them that extra tenth of an inch to make sure that based on any variation in production, they're not going to come in under the 16 inches. Because a 15.9 inch barrel is a felony. While a 16 inch barrel is not a felony. It's just, it's very arbitrary and it's very odd how when they decided these back in 1934, I don't know who decided what the length would be. Shotguns have a minimum barrel length of 18 inches. And a 17.9 inch barrel is illegal and a special requires a special permit. While a 18.1 inch barrel, Perfect, no problem. Anybody in most states can buy these without any restrictions other than possibly a background check, which is required for all weapons sold. So when they start talking about loopholes and ways to get around it and ordering it and having delivered to your door, this is all crap, complete crap. You cannot do this legally in this country. Now, can you get somebody to mail you a gun? Possibly. I mean, you could go on some dark websites, find people who are willing to send it directly to you, and if it gets to you, yeah, you've, you've sidestepped the system, you've broken the law, you're now a criminal. So keep that in mind. If you hear all this BS about, you know, avoiding, you know, trying to close these loopholes, getting these um, <clears throat> weapons, make sure everybody goes through a background check. If you're buying through a dealer, everybody is going through a background check. You can't avoid this. The only way to avoid this is in some states... If you have a pistol permit or a carry permit, then they will exempt you from the background check because a pistol permit background check is way more intense than a standard yes or no background check from most sheriff's departments. You actually have to get fingerprinted, send those fingerprints into the FBI. They do a background check on you. The local police do a background check on you. Then when you get approved for your carry permit, you're able to buy weapons without going through another background check. So when someone starts talking about the loopholes, the gun show loopholes, the, you know, the sidestepping the forms or getting a gun through the mail, this is all crap. You cannot do, cannot buy from any dealer without going through the proper procedures, proper background checks and things like that. Now some states will allow you to purchase a weapon from an individual without having to undergo a background check. And in these states, they usually Put some responsibility on the seller. <clears throat> Make sure this person is a resident of your state. How do you have to do this? You don't have to 
get a copy of a driver's license, but you should at least get a, glam, a, a glimpse at it. Get a glance at it and say, okay, it's a current state license. That's all that's required in my state to do this. You can ask if they're a felon. Of course, if they're a felon, they're not going to tell you that, so that doesn't serve a lot of purpose. But just be cautious when selling a gun to somebody that you don't know. You know, in fact, if they don't have a license or can't show you any ID, I would recommend you don't sell it to them. So just be cautious with that. The best thing is to find somebody who's willing to go to a dealer to transfer it. Even if you're not going to go, if they're willing to go, that means they probably have no issue. Now, in some states, if they have a concealed carry permit, that would be the absolute best thing. And you don't even need a copy of it. Just get a glance at it. Say, okay, it's current. It's a pistol permit. You've been, a, the FBI has done your background check. You are approved to carry a weapon in this state. <clears throat> Therefore, I feel very comfortable in selling you this, this weapon. <clears throat> now, granted, you are not required to do anything. However, I think if you were to sell to a known felon, you would be in for some questioning at least especially if it was used for some nefarious purpose, then you would have to be responsible for what they did with the gun to some extent because you let them have it without going through at least some precautions to make sure you were selling it to someone who was legal. But that's that's kind of a whole other topic. We got a, I got off topic there for a moment. Sorry about that. But with your AR-15, okay, you're, you're going to hit a bunch of media buzzwords here. High-capacity magazine... Complete BS. It's a standard capacity magazine. Assault rifle. It's not an assault rifle. That's a term made up by the media to make them sound more dangerous than they are or make them sound different than they are. They're just semi-automatic rifles. There are thousands and thousands of different varieties of semi-automatic rifles. The fact that they're military styled means people will label them as assault weapons. An assault weapon is, like I say, it's a term made up by the media to make them sound like they're more dangerous. Weapons of war. There isn't a country in the world that uses a semi-automatic rifle as their standard military weapon. So they're not weapons of war. Again, just, you know, hype made up by the media to label them to make them seem more dangerous because being able to defend yourself and your family with a semi-automatic rifle is something that every American should have the right to do if necessary. So be aware. They're trying to start small. They're figuring if they could get these out of people's hands, get these military-looking assault, quote-unquote, assault weapons out of people's hands, then going the next step is going to be easier. Then your scope deer rifle becomes a sniper rifle because it has a scope on it and it fires a rifle cartridge. Your handgun is going to become a submachine gun styled weapon. You know, they're just going to keep pushing and pushing. They're going to boil this frog. If you don't know what that means, you let it put a frog in cold water, turn on the heat a little bit. He will sit there till he boils to death. You throw him in a hot pot of water, he will jump right out. So they're trying to go little by little incremental bits and pieces until they take all the gun rights away. Hopefully, if we have an election and we get somebody who's pro-Constitution, who's in in favor of defending our constitutional rights, then the gun issue should not matter as much. I'm hoping that's what's going to happen on our next election. No matter who the candidate is on whatever side they want to be on, if they are pro-Constitution, that is what I want to see. And it's amazing how some of these states can pass their own gun laws to restrict your ability to purchase certain weapons. Like in California, New York, you have to have some weird, um, how would you call it, uh, 
augmented version of an AR-15 to make it legal in that state. Basically, this makes it more unsafe, more difficult to hold, more difficult to shoot, makes it more dangerous to have this weapon because it's less accurate and less and much less easy to use properly. So they want to make this weapon as unsafe as possible and then tell you it's okay for you to have. Try not to fall for that. If you can possibly get one, a standard configured AR-15 in one of probably two or three different calibers, 5.56 being the most common and 300 Blackout probably being the next most common cartridge, those are probably the two best choices for a rifle, for a self-defense collection, or even for an all-round use collection. Now, the 300 Blackout probably ranks a little higher for hunting capabilities because of the 30 caliber bullet. While the 5.56 is capable, some states don't allow it unless you're firing a bullet of a certain weight. But the 5.56 has a huge variety of bullets available, and the 300 Blackout is not too far behind. And when I come back, we're going to get into the next rifle that I would consider something for a defense or all-round purposes. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. And I'm sure, Roger, that you mentioned the fact that Day in and day out, we are uh, we have Veterans Day. Every day is Veterans Day. <laughs> yes. Veterans Day on America's Web Radio. So we'll be right back. Are you a veteran of Desert Shield or Desert Storm? We do a show for you every Monday at 1 p.m. on veteran-owned, americaswebradio.com. What do doctors talk about in doctors' lounges around the country? Find out on the Doctors' Lounge Show every Thursday at 8 a.m. on America's Web Radio. What will Victor say next? Find out every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on the On Point with Victor show, only on America's Web Radio. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericanBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. And right before I left for the break, I had told you about AR configurations, things to consider, things to do when you're trying to get one to add to your collection. So now you've got your pistol or your or your handgun, you've got your shotgun, and now you've got an AR-15 rifle as a potential candidate for the rifle. The only other potential candidate I would list as a rifle as far as being an, to generalize a collection for self-defense purposes being the main purpose would be an AK variant. When I say AK variant, I mean a variation of the AK-47. This cartridge that fires a 7.62 by 39 is similar in size to a 300 Blackout, but 
it requires the way it's loaded it requires more barrel to effectively burn all the powder in order to get the max velocity out of it now eventually i wonder if someone will come out with a better version that's designed a better version of the cartridge to fire in a weapon that will make it more effective with a shorter barrel but the ak-47 similar barrel requirements probably around a 14 inch barrel to maximize powder burn when i say powder burn i mean to burn all the powder in the shell before the bullet leaves the barrel you want to have that powder burn take place the whole length of the barrel but not much beyond it because anything beyond is just going to come out as smoke and fire basically it's wasted powder and you lose some velocity and effectiveness with the cartridge but an ak is a very good weapon they're very reliable now there are people who will say accuracy in the in the ak is not up to par with the ar-15 and in military versions, that's probably true. However, most of the civilian versions of the AKs are built to much higher uh, tolerances than are a lot of the military ones. Plus, the fact that <clears throat> computer-controlled machining is more available now, and most all manufacturers use computer-controlled machining to do machine work, and this makes all weapons way more accurate than they've ever been. So if you want to consider an AK, if you're more familiar with that platform, if you like the idea of a 30 caliber cartridge that's relatively inexpensive to find and shoot, an AK variant could be your could be your rifle to add to your collection over the AR-15 if you decide to go that route. Also, people also look at cartridges as far as if the world were to come apart, if things were to go awry and you needed to rely on yourself, Use the most commonly used cartridges because they will be the ones that the military will have, that the police will have, things like that. Now, if there's foreign militaries involved, the AK-47 is going to be the most common gun and cartridge around. So I'm not saying we're headed toward a Red Dawn situation, but if we were, the AK would be high on my list as a potential rifle to keep for self-defense. So now you've got your collection. You've got a rifle. You've got a shotgun. You've got a pistol. Now you just have to find ammo for these things. I would recommend at least 500 rounds, preferably a 1,000 rounds. And anything that requires a magazine, you need to have at least six magazines. I like 10, but if you have six, you're probably okay. Because I don't know if any, if any of you ever played video games and you see how fast you end up going through a magazine of ammo, things, when it gets hairy and scary, you may need to reload several times in a short period of time just to keep your hold your ground or to get to where you're going or provide cover fire <clears throat> i mean i have too much ammo is never anything i've ever heard uttered by anybody who's who's an operator you know now granted carrying it sometimes if you're if you're moving around with it if you're not in a home base the weight of ammo can become the limiting factor you can only carry so much with you now granted if you have non-shooters in your group have them carry some extra ammo too but having the magazines loaded, having the ammo available to reload them, these are all things you want to consider for your home defense system. You want to be able to defend your home, your family, your friends, your property, whatever. You want to be able to have enough capability to handle that, to do what you're supposed to do. And, of course, getting training, I can't stress that enough. Learn how to use whatever weapon system you pick. Learn how to use it. Know how to reload it, know where the safety is, know how to check it for make sure there's nothing in a chamber. It's always better to check a gun twice than to accidentally discharge once. 
So, or check it three times. I mean, I've been handed a weapon in a shooting range or in a gun store, and they look at it, they hand it to me, and I'll look at it again in case they miss something. They do this all day long. What if somebody slipped a cartridge in there and they missed one that was in the chamber? You know, usually they'll take a good look, but a lot of times they just pop it open, pop it closed, hand it to you. It never hurts to look again. It's also a good habit to get into. Now, with a lot of these weapons, you've got these weapons in your in your arsenal now or in your protective services committee. So you've got this uh, collection of weapons. They're all for your home defense, property defense. Now you need to get accessories for all these weapons. Now, for a handgun, the first thing you're going to need is, of course, a holster. You want a way to carry this weapon. You want a way to either carry it on your hip, carry it somewhere in a holster around your body, or you want to at least have a holster available that will go on a belt, something like that. You want to, And you can even store the weapon in the holster when it's not being used if you don't have to have it locked up wherever you have it. Consider that. You want a holster that you can draw out of. Sometimes you want it to be extra secure, have straps or locks to keep it in place. Sometimes you want one that's more accessible and not as restrictive as far as pulling it out goes. Now, most of the ones that lock still have just a quick button you push, and you can remove the weapon from the holster. But it also helps prevent weapons from falling out of another style of holster if it's loose fit at all and you're moving around, getting in and out of a car, you know, you're running, you're doing any kind of physical activity, you want to be able to have that gun secure enough to where you won't lose track of it or have it fall out when you need it. So get a decent holster for whatever handgun you have, whether it's a revolver, a pistol, whatever it is, get a decent holster and a decent belt to carry it on or a way to carry it where you're not going to be just running around with a gun in your hand without any sort of protection. Also, If you end up encountering law enforcement in the course of defending your home, you don't want to have the gun in your hand. You want to put it down, put it back in your holster, and have your hands exposed. Even if you're in the right, even if the shooting was completely justified, the police, when they get there, are not going to know who are the good players, who are the bad players. You want to present yourself as a no threat. You want to be able to have your hands where they can see them, have the gun put away, and not have any, you gotta pose a no threat if law enforcement shows up at the scene of a shooting at your home or your work, wherever you are, where you have to use your weapon for self-defense. Now we move on to the shotgun. The shotgun, as I mentioned before, you want some way to carry extra ammunition with you. With a pistol, it's easy, they take magazines. You can have several magazines loaded. Now with the revolver, it's a little more difficult as they require what they call speed loaders which is a way to hold the number of rounds that the weapon holds together in a little dispenser where you can push the back of it. It dumps six rounds in after you dump the old six rounds out. Obviously, revolvers are much slower to reload and much less effective for uh, a huge, uh, multiple attackers because you have to be much more careful with your shot placement and you need time to reload. While a good shooter can reload a, a pistol in under half a second or right out of half a second. You can have that magazine dropping out before before that magazine hits the ground. Your other magazine should be on your way to the weapon to reload it. So you should be able to do it in a half to a second. You should be able to get a full reload and get your full weapon back up and running in less than one second. So and that's something you need to practice, too. So now you've got your handgun. you got it in a holster. you got things to reload. Now, how are you going to carry the extra magazines or speed loaders? 
You want some way to do that along with your regular holster, whether it's, uh, you know, some sort of holster designed to carry magazines or designed to carry speed loaders. You want to be able to carry a few of those with you if you have to move. Because if you pull your gun out of your nightstand and you have two extra magazines, but they're sitting there in the nightstand, how are you going to carry those with you? Is there a way? Do you have a way to carry those on your belt? If you pick up a belt, put it on and put your holster in there, do you have a way to carry the extra magazines or are they just going in your pocket? Never hurts to have a few magazine pouches in your rig, as they call it, if you're designing this gun for home defense or for carry. Either way, you want to be able to have magazines that you can take with you at a moment's notice and do a search of your house, do a search of your yard, wherever you think the threat may be coming from, or if it's already in the house, you want to be able to have extra ammunition with you and have it easily accessible and easy to use. Now, with a shotgun, it's a little bit different. Because a shotgun, you can't, there's no standard holsters for shotguns. You can't carry them like that. They're too big. So ideally what you're going to do is go the same route as a rifle and use a sling to carry your shotgun. A lot of shotguns have sling swivels and you can put slings on them relatively easily and you can sling it over your back, sling it across your front. There are even slings which hold it in a downward position, which enables you to just reach down and shoulder it right away, which has it in a ready position, but yet a safe position. And like I said earlier, when you carry shotgun shells, you need a way to carry them. If you happen to have a shotgun which has a box magazine, which is a very small percentage, then you can carry some extra magazines with you. But again, you'll need a way to secure those to your body somehow. If you have a vest or something you can put it on, that would be great. If not, if you have just a regular pump-action shotgun or semi-automatic that feeds through the bottom feed tube, you want to be able to have these shells accessible but yet secure enough so they won't be falling out all over the place. Now, one thing a lot of people do is they run what's called a side saddle. It fits on the left side of a right-handed shotgun. It fits on the left side of the receiver, holds anywhere from three to six, seven extra shells, and they just fit into the little loops, and they the friction holds them in place. So you can pull from there, reload quickly, just thumb them into the bottom of your weapon, and that's a few. That gives you one extra reload normally, or up to usually around five Five to six cartridges is about what you get in a side saddle. If you want to go beyond that, you can get a sling that has shotgun shell loops built onto it. These can hold anywhere from 10 to 35 extra rounds, or you can get a bandolier, which goes over your shoulder, fits around your body, and will hold shotgun shells like that. Those are good if a shotgun is going to be your primary weapon. Now, if you wear a bandolier, though, you have to make sure it doesn't get in the way of the holster for your pistol or any of your reloading stuff for your pistol either, depending on which weapon you choose to go to be your primary weapon. Most people take a a pistol or a handgun as a primary weapon. That's going to be your primary self-defense weapon. Now, in battle, everything changes because a Marine once told me, he goes, you use your pistol to fight your way to your rifle, and your rifle is your primary weapon. In most urban environments, your pistol is going to be your primary weapon because it's easy to maneuver. It's easy to get around in tight spaces, and it fires cartridges that generally don't overpenetrate in an urban environment. So you've got this shotgun. You've got a bandolier. Make sure you wear it on the opposite side of where your pistol holster is. And make sure it doesn't interfere with where your extra pistol mags are stored. Whether they're on the front or on that left side, make sure you can get to them even with your bandolier or your sling with 
shotgun shell loops built in. Either way, that gives you enough shotgun shells to go for quite a while with one or both of those options. Now, on the rifle, it becomes a little more difficult. You're talking about carrying magazines that are a lot larger. They don't fit in your pocket. So you're going to have to get magazine holders. And how you wear these is going to be a matter of how many you want to carry with you. Now, a lot of people will use a, what's called a tactical vest. What this does is has compartments on it for sometimes pistol magazines, sometimes rifle magazines, sometimes shotgun shell holders. All these can be put onto a tactical vest, which gives you the capability of whichever weapon you've got, you've got all these things right there on your person. Whether you grab your pistol and your tactical vest, you go, you may have extra ammo for guns you don't have with you, but you'll have extra ammo for the weapon you've got. And you can put, a lot of them are adjustable, what's called the, uh, with, with the mole adjustments. They have loops on them that allows you to attach other pouches, other accessories, other holsters onto these mole hooks. And to get a tactical vest, you can set it up however you want to. There's a variety of different pouches and uh, containers and holsters that will all fit onto this tactical vest. And this tactical vest can be your main source of grab and go. If you're in a situation, you want to be able to grab this one vest, which has ammo for everything you might have, and be able to go with it. And it also depends on if you're wearing body armor. Right. That's a whole nother can of worms there. Yeah, that would be something I highly recommend for anybody once they get beyond the weapon stage. If you just have one handgun in your nightstand drawer and that's all you're going to do, I suggest investing in training and ammunition. Because, you know, you get into body armor, it gets to be a thing where how many people are in your family? Who are you going to get it for? Do they know how to put it on? You know, your six-year-old probably won't be able to strap on his own body armor. But if your wife, girlfriend, or significant other is there, will they be able to put it on the children after they put it on themselves? Just like in an airplane. When they say put your own oxygen mask on before you outfit somebody else, put your own vest on before you outfit somebody else. So, and that's something too. That's, that's a big expense. That can be a big expense though. There are cheaper ways to do it, but some of the best stuff is going to be expensive to outfit a family for. If you can afford it, a lot of tactical vests will have pouches for body armor will have pouches for armored plates. All these will help protect you in the event of being shot in the main part of your body. But that, again, that's kind of the next level. And that's something I want to talk about briefly today is that we're going to be discussing, we're going to have a series on prepping. We're going to go into guns, food, medicine, uh, devices to carry all this stuff with, whether you're bugging in, bugging out, how are you going to have power to run all your devices, will your devices work in the event of a a crisis or a catastrophe. All these are going to be questions we're going to cover. We're going to try and get into a series the next couple months and cover some of those subjects pretty thoroughly and make you think about things you may not have covered and enable you to get what you need to prepare for a potentially catastrophic or disastrous situation. Because there's a lot more to it than just having a gun and six magazines. But that that's a that's a story for another time. But right now we're just talking about you've got your shotgun, you've got your sling, you've got your way to carry extra ammo, you've got your rifle. Now you've got your way to carry extra ammo with that. Now you can just run magazine pouches that will carry extra rifle ammo without going the tactical vest route. Now the tactical vest can carry pretty much everything you want easily, quickly, and just 
put your arms through it, strap it up with Velcro. You've got every ammo for each one of your weapons available. Depending on which one you grab, you'll have it available and ready to go. So you always want to have stuff ready to go. You don't want to have to start loading magazines after someone kicks in your front door. Like I said, there's a video out there of a store owner who wasn't carrying his pistol in condition one. It was had the magazine in it, but was not chambered. And while he was trying to chamber his weapon, the perpetrator saw him and shot him and killed him right there on the floor of his own store because he didn't have his gun loaded. Had he had it loaded, he would have had the advantage. He had the he got the gun out, but was having trouble cycling it to get around in the chamber. And by the time he got to the point where he could do that, he was spotted and was killed. So, you know, you always think there's going to be lots of time in a situation. It's like you're not going to put your seatbelt on right before you have an accident. (laughs) You're not going to know when that's going to happen. Things are going to happen fast in that situation. Any criminal who's any good is going to know the element of surprise is what they're going to use to take advantage of you. So be aware of that. Be prepared. Like I say, have your gun ready. If you're going to carry a gun, if you're not going to carry it loaded, then when you go to the range, don't stick a magazine in, rack it, and then start shooting. Pick it up, unloaded, either load it or have a magazine in it. If you're going to carry it with just a magazine in it and no cartridge in the chamber, when you go to the range, I want you to practice having that magazine, picking it up, racking it, and shooting it. You gotta be able to do that very quickly if you want it to become effective training. You gotta be able to do that without thinking about it. You don't wanna fumble, you don't wanna have an accident, you don't wanna have a negligent discharge while you're trying to load your weapon. Practice the way you carry. If you wanna carry it without a round in the chamber, practice at the range like that. Draw the weapon, rack it, shoot it at the target. Roger, what do you think about, uh, if you're, if you carry, Anytime you go into a new situation, you look around, you assess what you've got, and make a plan of what you're going to do if somebody comes in. Right, and situational awareness. I mean, I kind of do it anywhere I go. I look, see where the water wall is. I see where the kitchen is because I know there's usually a back door in most kitchens. See where they are. That could be an alternative way out or look at the door, make sure you have an eye on it. And they call that the gunfighter seat. If you're sitting facing the door, that's the gunfighter seat. And when you're with a bunch of guys who are carrying, everybody wants to be able to see the door. Now, eventually you get to the point where whoever's there first will take that seat, but whoever gets the seat opposite of you will watch the back door, watch the other possible entrance. So you can cover everything and be able to make sure everybody at the table can stay safe if necessary. Yeah, that's that's when you go out is when you're most vulnerable, I believe, because you're not in an environment you know. Now, if someone's coming for you, that's a whole different story, especially if it's if it's has any motivation whatsoever. If you have enemies or you know people who may want to do you harm, you have to be prepared for them like you've never been prepared for anything. Because they're, if they're coming for you, they're going to do whatever they can do to make their plan go to fruition. So be aware of that. And like I say, condition one, ammo in the gun, gun racked. Even if you have the safety on, that's fine. But that gun has to have a bullet in the chamber to be the most effective it can possibly be. Now, if you don't carry with one in the chamber, that's fine. But make sure when you go to the range, you practice racking that pistol every time you pick it up to shoot it with a new magazine in it. Make sure you have it 
in the condition where there's a magazine in it, not one in the chamber, and see how fast you can draw and rack at the same time. Now, this can be done extremely quickly. You may not give up much time if you practice it. Now, one thing I'll tell you with a semi-automatic pistol, it's not a bad idea to rack it without a magazine in it just to release the high tension on the spring so when you put the magazine in and then you rack it again, that initial pull on the slide will be a lot lighter than it would have been if you hadn't racked it at all prior. Now, when I say rack it, you just want to pull the slide back, release it, and keep it in a ready position, but you do not have a bullet in the chamber. But that just makes it much easier to chamber around because it'll be less effort and you can carry it like that. That's something if you're carrying condition where you're not going to have one in the chamber, try and do that. Make sure the pistol springs are racked and the tension is on them. So when you go to rack a bullet, it's going to be way easier than trying to do it with nothing, with the gun completely uncocked, basically. You go in with it uh, cocked, but not loaded. And that's every semi-automatic pistol will do that. Now, in the revolver, you pretty much have the same trigger pull every time. It's not going to make a difference. You don't have to uh, chamber it. Now, a revolver is very difficult to carry without having one in the chamber. <clears throat> Unless you want to carry one in the chamber that's going to be fired first, you want to leave that one blank in case the trigger gets pulled by accident. But that's uh, highly not rec- not recommended at all to do that. Having an empty chamber and revolver is a very silly idea. They usually have a long, heavy trigger pull, and that's their safety device. Now, a lot of semi-automatics have actual thumb or safeties like that, and that's the way you can use them also. If you have a round in the chamber, use the manual safety. But don't carry it unloaded unless you practice that in the range to where you can draw that pistol and rack it quickly and get off your first shot. Do it. Practice it. If that's the way you're going to carry, practice the way you're going to fight. So be aware of that. By all means, take advantage of that. If that's the way you're going to do it, do it the right way. All right. I guess that's all I got for today. Like I said, we're going to get into our prepper series. And if you guys have any questions you want to get my opinion on when it comes to prepping, you can send me an email, roger at americaswebradio.com. And I will try and address your questions, try and address your issues, and see if we can, maybe I can give you something you hadn't thought of. And if you have ideas of what you'd like to see me cover, or you have some suggestions on certain things to consider, I'd like to get those ideas ideas too. Roger at AmericasWebRadio.com. Let me try that one more time. Roger at AmericasWebRadio.com. Send me an email. I'll address your situation. I'll come up with, uh, give me some ideas on what you want to see covered, and we'll try and get through all that stuff. All right, I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.